sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast Michael Mazengarb, thank you so much for uh, for talking to Environmental as Anything again. That's right. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's always a pleasure. Um, look, obviously, in the last uh, couple of weeks, a huge amount of uh, news for renewable energy, but uh, I think probably topmost on most people's minds is the budget. Uh, you had a few stories on that. How, how did you see the uh, the response to the budget? Was it a uh, launching us into renewable prosperity, or uh, are we yeah. looking down the barrel of more of the same? Yeah, I mean it was a really interesting budget. Um, I mean it's, it's an odd time because we normally we have the budget handed down in in May, but with everything going on, the government's you know only just gotten around to trying revealing their budget for the, the coming financial year. Um, I guess it's a bit of a mixed bag so we we kind of knew what the government had included in the budget to the most part before it had been released um and it includes you know a good chunk of money for the australian renewable energy agency um which is which is a positive outcome um you know the arena they they provide a lot of funding for um, research and development of new renewable energy technologies um and the demonstration of, of new new technologies um, and they've secured, um, well, they're about to receive something in the order of um, $1.4 billion over the next 10 years to help continue that funding, mm. um, which is really good. Mm. Um, it does come with a few catches. Um, one is that that agency is, is set to be opened up and, and the types of technologies that that agency can invest in is, it, are, is going to be opened up um, to allow it to invest in um, a whole bunch of new technologies, um, potentially including carbon capture and storage, um, and there's potentially also some gas projects as well, mm. um, which is not a great outcome for an agency that's been very successful at supporting renewable energy. Um, Counter, counterintuitive for one which has the, the word renewable in its name. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know how they're going to quite reconcile that um, if they're going to be including it, you know, effectively, effectively supporting some fossil fuel projects. Um, and so they might, I don't know how they're going to deal with that. They might have to change the name. Um, uh, the rest of the budget, so the, the main reaction to the budget is that it's been a bit of a missed opportunity. Um, so there's, there are a few smaller measures, um, just supporting electric vehicles and supporting hydrogen, um, and some energy efficiency measures. But, you know, it's not the like, you know, with a lot of groups calling on the government to really embrace a green economic recovery um, mm. to COVID-19 and the current recession that we're in, um, the government has really, really ignored that. Um, and, you know, for one example, the government has put, you know, something like $7.5 billion um, into new transport infrastructure. Um, right. Basically, yeah, all of that just goes to building basically new roads um, and includes nothing for uh, electric vehicles or, or low emissions vehicles. So, um, you know, 
in, so in just, some ways, just, just to interrupt you on that, so we're saying the good news is 1.4 billion for arena, and then we're saying 7 billion dollars for roads. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the government, I mean, the Morrison government has really just like leaned into hit, hit sort of usual industries mm. um, and saying the ty- type of economic recovery that they, they want to have. Um, is investment in things like roads um, and, and have just, for the most part, ignored the opportunities that are there in, in clean energy. Mm. But, uh, you know, not ignoring, uh, not ignoring Vale's point, it seems. Uh, they've got uh, their favoured uh, outcomes of a coal-fired yeah. future uh, with their, coal, their carbon capture and storage and, uh, and giving uh, Vale's point, uh, throwing them a bone. Yeah, so Vale's point is is kind of an extraordinary one, which is, you know, Vale's point is this aging coal-fired generator in New South Wales. Um, it's it's really reaching the end of its life. Um, it was sold by the New South Wales government back in 2015 for a million dollars. So you, you buy a whole power station for one million dollars. Wow. Um, it was purchased by um, Liberal Party donor. Trevor St. Baker, um, and he happened to buy it right at the right time, right right as electricity prices um, skyrocketed. Um, the power station is now estimated to be about worth just over $700 million. Um, but he's also, he's still come and he's, he's asked for more money. He's asked the Morrison government for some about $9 million to help fund upgrades and repairs at the power station. Um, which they've obliged and they've provided uh, money for him under the federal budget to sort of to make repairs at this this coal-fired power station. So, I mean, it, it just doesn't feel when when he's such a large financial contributor to the the Liberal and National parties, it just doesn't feel like a great um, outcome to see this sort of special carve out for. Um, one of the government's mates to help keep this coal-fired power station running. No, no again, it's a, that's a well, that's a seven hundred dollar windfall on a, on a you know one million dollar asset being turned into a seven hundred million dollar asset, and then a nine, an eight or nine million dollar handout uh, to keep it going. I know he's, he's done extraordinarily well out of this deal that he's done uh, with the New South Wales uh, government. And yeah, whatever. He's still, still able to get more money out of the federal government. So. Yeah. Well, good luck for him, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Not what to know, is it? <laughs> Obviously. But um, well, so look, the budget sounds like uh, like we've we've heard uh, you know a, a bit, fair bit about the budget from uh, yeah. from the government about this. They're all uh, gung ho for their uh, uh, their fossil fuel future, but uh, uh, you know the the. The uh, the Greens weren't so enthusiastic about it, were they? Uh, Adam Bant got up uh, just the other day and gave uh, a speech to the National Press Club. New mm. uh, Greens' new call for a Green New Deal describes climate uh, Morrison's climate policies as criminal. As yeah, of course. Headline. Yeah, so like Greens leader Adam Bant um, gave the address to the National Press Club in Canberra um, last week or earlier this week, um, and he really just sort of made the point that um, there are really really good economic opportunities being created um, in the clean energy sector and some which are really good value for money and if the government was to support the sector, um, there are a lot of jobs and there's a lot of investment that can be created. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing that, you, you help address you know the big issue of climate change and global warming and so it, it really should be a win-win um, 
uh, approach to be taken by embracing a, a Green New Deal in Australia. Um, and, and Bant really sort of pointed to, to some of this, you know, gas-led recovery and, and um, money being given to, to coal power stations as just showing that the Morrison government is really out of step with with what it should be doing uh, in terms of environment and energy policy. Mm. Um, and so it was a really strong, I mean, it's really, a, a, you know, emotional speech that Bant gave, you know, reflecting on, you know, he was thinking about just the future of his own kids um, as, as one of the reasons that, that motivates him to be really outspoken and be really strong on, on climate and, and clean energy policy. Mm. Well, it, he's, he's not alone there. I mean, it, it's not just the Greens. I mean, we had Malcolm Turnbull at the, uh, the Smart Energy Summit, Global Summit uh, calling the, uh, the, the idea of uh, subsidising billions and billions of dollars of subsidies into new fossil fuel as bonkers, was his word. Mm. Mm. I mean, I had I had John Houston on this program uh, a, a month or so ago, uh, saying that he considered the relationship between uh, the fossil fuel industry and and the Morrison government corrupt. That was his word. Yeah, I mean, it's it kind of it, it, it's very. I, I can't personally. I can't quite get over just just what is going on uh, in terms of the way that the Morrison government is being advised about energy policy, um, and, and the way that it is picking picking people from the gas industry and the fossil fuel sector to to tell it effectively what it wants to hear. Um, and so it's going, you know, gung-ho into this, you know, pouring taxpayer money into the gas sector because for some reason it thinks that that's the way it's going to be able to drive economic, um, Australia's economic recovery. Um, but really all it is is, is serving self-interest. Um, and, you know, it's just... You're starting to see, um, you know, even people from within, you know, Matt Keane is the Liberal New South Wales Energy Minister, um, has also come out and been really strongly outspoken saying that, you know, you'd be mad to be, um, you know, placing your bets on gas to be the thing that's going to lead us to a, a economic recovery. I yes. Um, so, it's you know, when... It's to be universally amongst those who are not in the Federal Liberal Party that, uh, that that's the case. I sp- again, I spoke to Tony Wood from the Grattan Institute and he had yeah. a, a, a long career as a senior executive in origin and he was saying there's no way that the gas industry is, is, a, is, a, is a, a prospect for a, a recovery from COVID, you know. No, and I, I, I mean, it's, it's, we're, it's in this bizarre situation where, you know, we have plenty of gas in it's like we're producing plenty of gas in Australia we produce some order of magnitude more than we actually use locally mm. um, but all of the gas is being channeled into to the international market um, which is just a bit of a mess at the moment given everything that's going on in the global economy um, but still the, the government is trying to push this message saying we have to get more gas we have to put more gas into the system um, when when really Australia's gas market is just hugely dysfunctional um, and, and it's just not going to be the economic driver that we they think it is. Mm-hmm. Well that's that's right it, it seems hard to understand how they could think it is but it's not just even gas is it because uh, you know uh, senior members uh, of the of the coal the federal coalition uh, are, are making comments like black coal matters even so you know like the extremes of their uh, their support for fossils uh, sort of are, are really becoming very naked aren't they? Yeah, and that that was a really unfortunate reference that comes from from Matt Canavan, mm. um, a Queensland senator. Um, you know, he he is just like single-eyed focus on coal. Mm. Um, you know, he's a north, he's from Queensland. He just 
he's one of the strongest advocates for the Adani coal mine. Um, and, you know, he just had, was shared a photo of this campaign ute that he had where he had co-opted the um, Black Lives Matter um, mm. slogan and turned it into Black Coal Matters, which is not only just offensive in terms of people who are trying to campaign for climate change, but it's also just a really offensive um, co-option of the um, a, a campaign around social justice and, mm. and you know um, civil rights. Um, but that that just kind of shows the extent that someone like that Canavan is is willing to go to um, in his advocacy for coal. It's just bizarre. It is a brazen defiance of all sense and reason, it seems, from Matt Canavan in particular, but it's interesting. It does indicate what uh, what's going on within the coalition, uh, I think, um, you know, it must must do. Uh, but but in Queensland, meantime, you've you've written about some some other you know some actual sensible uh, developments in Queensland. Uh, you know, new analysis suggesting that Queensland could complete a shift to 100% renewable electricity within 15 years with more than enough wind and solar uh, PV in the pipeline. Mm. This is this is a really interesting piece of analysis that's been been commissioned by the Queensland Conservation Council. Um, and what they've done is they've kind of commissioned some work which marries together two bits of research. Um, one which is around um, how much renewables need to be built in Queensland to take the state to 100% renewable electricity. Mm. Um, and the other is what projects are already in the development pipeline, like what what are we expecting to be seen built over the next sort of 15 years. Um, and for the most part, the, the research suggests that there's already enough projects in the development pipeline um, that will allow Queensland to shift to 100% renewable electricity. Um, now, there's a bit of work that needs to be done around managing energy storage um, and some of those things. But in terms of wind and solar, um, you know, the, the investment is already lining up um, to such an extent that, that Queensland could go 100% renewables within the next 15 years, which yeah. would be just an extraordinary outcome. Would be, wouldn't it? And, 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 and a likely outcome, given that, that's, that, that, they're all, that is all actually lining up. It's not, it's not a, a fantasy or, or a projection. It's an actual, uh, you know, it's a measurement of what's, what's currently in the pipeline. Yeah, and that, that's, that's right. And that, that's the really sort of crucial takeaway, is that that's, it, it's, it's more than just a saying, you know, this is what we need and wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if everyone went out and built all of this solar and wind? It's This is what the industry is lining up to do and this is what investors are lining up to put their money into. Mm. Um, and that's really exciting. Mm, it, is, it is exciting. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, the other story about Queensland that you've had in the last uh, week or so was uh, up to 20,000 new clean energy jobs for, up for grabs in Queensland as it readies to vote. Yeah, so that's you know another another piece of research um, which shows that you know and that that's within the next three years um, sort of bit of work that's been done um, through the Climate Council um, that sort of shows that you know with this significant amount of new renewable energy being um, built in Queensland, it's going to flow through in terms of job creation. Um, and that's an extra 20,000 jobs that they, the, the Climate Council expects to be created over the next three years. Um, so it's a huge opportunity to create new jobs in mm. Queensland. And Queensland goes to an election, they go to vote at the end of this month. Um, and it's really sort of, a, um, you know, in some ways it's going to be a, a referendum on the response to, to COVID-19, but it's, it's also really got um, up, uh, a really a, is a vote on 
the sort of vision um, that that state can have in terms of the amount of clean energy that's invested in that state and attracting other industries like green hydrogen or green steel and, and those sorts of things as well. Mm-hmm. Probably uh, those figures uh, are, are fueling Matt Canavan's desperation and his, in his, in his, you know, uh, you know, increasingly absurd behaviour in public. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I just don't know about Matt Canavan. He's just an odd, very odd, odd guy, and he seems to think that all North Queensland wants is more coal. And you know, there's a lot of people and a lot of you know opportunities for new industries um, in North Queensland and, um, you know, people, we're seeing countries like China starting to wind back their purchases of Australian coal. Radically. Yeah, can't help but think that that someone like Matt Canavan would be effectively putting all of Queensland's eggs into one basket, which is about to just have a massive massive hole in it. So, Mm, mm. um, yeah. Well, it's, it's actually a feature, isn't it, of the extractive resource industries that they uh, of that nature that, that that they are prone to these sharp dips and and uh, and spikes in in uh, performance. Whereas the renewable economy, being more distributed, does give the opportunity to smooth out those uh, those peaks and troughs in the in the cycle. You don't you're not prone to such uh, massive hits from a from a single mm. uh, part, trading partner as we've seen from China. That that's true, but there are also huge opportunities being created in the resource industry by the clean energy transition to clean energy. Yes. Um, but it's in materials like nickel and copper and lithium and all mm. these materials that go into building batteries and electric vehicles and solar panels. Mm. Um, you know, so so in some ways, a transition to a clean energy is also going to be really good for the resources industry. It's just not. For the fossil fuel industry, um, <laughs> just don't you know that that's the bit which uh, it's just a bit of logic there that that some of these um, you know LNP senators just start, can't seem to get their heads around. Yeah, I was I was uh, intrigued by your your, your article on the uh, Deakin University research uh, talking taking out the Global Business Award for the plan to deploy innovative sodium batteries to electric mm. Indonesian transport, not Australian transport, uh, but uh, sodium, which seems like you know that's that's the, what, half of what salt is made of, isn't it? So yeah, that's it, the kind of kind of mineral that we could get from a desal plant, you know, really yeah. quickly. You know, like it's not it's not difficult to get sodium. No, and that, that's a really interesting. That was a, a study um, from some early career researchers at Deakin University. They were participating in a in a business context uh, contest, and they came up with this proposal to build um, sodium batteries. And, and it's basically the, the idea and the chemistry is exactly the same as a as a lithium ion battery, mm. um, but you can effectively just swap out the lithium and use sodium instead. Wow. Um, and the, the research is in the battery technology is still being progressed. Mm. Um, but the idea is we have so much, like sodium is, is just really common um, and, and is easy to sort of source. Mm. Um, and so if they can get the cost down of that technology, you actually have this second second type of battery um, chemistry that can be used to produce batteries um, at a low cost. Um, and so they were like, if we can get this off the ground and start producing really cheap sodium batteries, um, that unlocks the ability to, to electrify transport in, in countries like Indonesia, um, where you know you're really looking to try and 
try and decarbonise um, lower cost forms of transport mm. um, rather than sort of you know your big you know fancy electric vehicles or your your trucks and those sorts of things. Yeah, so huge, huge opportunities for the resource extraction industry. You know, as I say, except for the fossil fuels. Uh, you know, Elon Musk calling for BHP uh, or BHP responding to Elon Musk's call for more nickel. So yes. all of these minerals are all going to be in heavy demand as the, as the, the renewable economy uh, gets gets into full in, uh, full speed. Yeah, this is a really sort of really interesting, you know, classic almost Elon Musk approach, where he was, you know, the other couple of weeks ago, Tesla had this big battery day event, which they sort of unveiled all of the sort of innovations and, and their expectations around the, the global battery industry. And Tesla's, you know, they've just got these huge forecasts for the amount of battery production that they're going to need, uh, both for sort of energy storage, but also for their electric vehicles. And, and Musk sort of gave out this plea saying, you know, if you're a miner and you're producing nickel, can you like please just massively ramp up your nickel production because we need it. It's a really key ingredient for batteries. Mm. Um, and BHP has gone, well, we've got this big nickel mine in um, Kalgoorlie. Um, we might be able to answer that call. And so they're really quickly trying to ramp up production there and, and, and you know, they've got some equipment there that's like 50 years old and they're trying to replace that with new stuff mm. um, in the hope to be able to secure a deal with, with Tesla to start supplying Australian nickel to, to Tesla for their batteries. Exciting, exciting stuff. Um, look, we should wrap up quick soon, but I should a couple of last ones that I wanted to touch mm-hmm. upon. There was one in New South Wales about the... Uh, the Oven Mountain, $1 billion Oven Mountain pumped hydro project has been fast-tracked. Yeah, so this is a big um, big pumped hydro energy storage project. Um, so this has just been granted like critical state significant infrastructure status, um, which basically just means the New South Wales government is going to prioritise the planning approvals um, for this project. Um, it's just a really big, you know, the, the basically going to be building a, a, a dam into the, the side of a, a mountain um, which will be used for, for energy storage, um, basically pumping water up to the dam um, using electricity when it's cheap and then when they need the supply of electricity again, they release the water down through a hydroelectricity plant. Mm. Um, so the, the New South Wales government is really sort of picking that as a, as a priority to say, look, we need to get that infrastructure project going um, which will help boost um, New South Wales you know, clean um, energy storage capacity. A nice answer to uh, to Morrison's uh, threats to build a gas-fired power plant to to cover the the. the, the yeah. yeah, I mean that's right, and that that's the kind of thing that this that project could do. Um, is is it'll be designed to be able to store power and, and have that power um, ready um, for times when the, the grid is under stress um, and you need that extra supply. Mm, mm, yeah, well, 600 megawatts should be, uh, be well on the way to covering yes. the, the, the shortfall that was... Uh, yes. uh, yeah. Okay, well, that's obviously the, the last one I wanted to touch on because it was such a positive uh, story. It was that don't delay fossil fuel exit, just make it work for workers and consumers, experts say. Yeah, this is a really good. So there was a panel um, that was hosted by the Public Interest Advocacy Centre, um, which um, has some really great um, policy minds um, there. They had um, their policy lead, Craig Memory and Simon Holmes at court um, oh, yeah. from Melbourne University, who, if anyone's sort of been reading a lot and clean energy, you almost certainly have encountered Simon's work. Oh, we had him, work. had him on the show two weeks ago, actually. Oh, yeah. right, there you go. So. <laughs> 
um, yeah, and so basically they were talking about um, a just just transition um, and, and really breaking down some of the you know conceptions around you know what are, what are we going to do with all these people who work in the, the mining coal mining sector um, and and you know they, they said you know a just transition is really important you need to look after these these workers because they're going to be phased out of their jobs mm. but that work is not insurmountable um, that you know they're talking about you know tens of thousands of jobs um, when you compare that to the amount of people who have you know just lost their jobs or transitioned to different jobs um, as a result of COVID-19, which, which in itself is not a good thing, um, but it's something that, that in the long term we'll be able to manage. Mm. Um, and if you make the right investments and you, you support people through that transition period, um, you can get people through it um, in a reasonably okay way. And, and Simon sort of used the example of, of film photography. Um, you know, that just kind of evaporated and became obsolete in, yeah. in a very short period of time. Yeah, the Kodak um, moment. Yeah, but we didn't have the government going out saying, you know, what's your you know, job transition strategy for people who used to process film? It just kind of happened. And, and that, that just is what happens mm. to te- technologies as they're phased out. And mm. the same thing's going to happen to coal. And, you know, we should, as they said, we should just get on with it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that echoes uh, what Malcolm Turnbull was, uh, his conclusions at the, the Smart Energy uh, Summit a couple of weeks ago yeah. as well. So it's, right. it's a widespread understanding that, uh, that that just transition needs to be planned for. Mm-hmm. Look, uh, Michael, I, as I say, as I said to you at the outset, we could talk all day, but I think we'd yeah. better not. <laughs> I really, really appreciate your time and uh, your insights. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you again soon, hopefully. No worries. Thanks, Thanks Sean. Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental as Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand.